please note that this week's episode of The Dairy Edge was recorded with Liam Hanrahan in early March before the outbreak of COVID-19. Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, I spoke to Makra Young Farmer of the Year, Liam Hanrahan, in early March to hear his farming journey, which includes PhD research on maximising profitability through grass utilisation. So, I'm Louise, I'm farming in partnership with my parents, Willie and Catherine, here in Dunbegan County Clare. We've 180 spring calving dairy cows. This is overall farm performance. Um, in 2019, we would have sold 512 kgs of milk solids per cow to carry co-op. Um, and um, our fertility performance for the farm, we're, we'd be running at about somewhere between 82 and 85% uh, six-week calving rate. So, um, that would be um, it was the main key performance indicators, and where we, our target is to to grow between fourteen and fifteen ton of grass year on year, and we've been growing around the fourteen ton mark there the last two years, and measuring grass with a, a good number of years, and and um, we'll be continuing to do so. Uh, and and you mentioned um, there, there's been quite heavy rainfall, and I think look, it, 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 that's reflective across the country, but it is particularly high in your area. Um, and, and you know, can you describe the grassland uh, year for your farm? You know what it looks like. You know, you, you you'd encounter more challenges than I suppose the the average farm in terms of the I suppose the the soil type that you're operating on. Yep, of course, yeah. So we're we would um our farm is is kind of is split between a heavy clay soil and a PET type soil as well. So it and also we would be in a relatively high rainfall area. Like we probably even get more rainfall than what would be recorded at Sh- in Shannon Airport, we'll say. Um but yeah, so th- this part of the country would be it be a shorter grazing season lint, but we we know that, and it, it is the case every year. So, like, it's not a big surprise for us that February was wet and that there was no grazing happening. February grazing for us would be a massive bonus in an ordinary year. So, it, it for us, it actually won't make that much of a difference for our overall farm performance for the year. It's just kind of go with it and. It, um, the land would be very wet at the moment now, obviously, and it will take a few weeks to dry out. So I suppose we would plan and usually to have the cows out from maybe mid-March onwards by day anyway, at least. And it it often would be nearly closer to the 1st of April, the end of March, 1st of April, before um, the cows would be out full time. But um, yeah, so it is typically enough mid-March to 1st November grazing season length. And, uh, length and, um, and there often is challenges in between that as well. But we we would have been using so-called wet weather techniques uh, all the time uh, with many years in terms of for roadways, several gaps into paddocks and on-off grazing and 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 uh, other techniques like that are kind of uh, normal for us, you know, as as um, as opposed to just just to shoulder time techniques for managing grass, but. Yeah, we 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 manage it as as best we can, and we we feed accordingly. I suppose we do need to make put plans in place as a result of that. If we do need to put plans in place in terms of our silage, and the cows will be eating 
silage for a certain amount, certain period of time during their lack, during while they're milking. And so in the springtime, we need to target to have high quality silage going into the diet from now on, you know, or from, from the start of calving onwards or even before it to get the cows ready for when they go to grass and for breeding. So it's a have, having high quality silage there. So having a good quality first cut silage tends to make things an awful lot easier. That's, it's kind of a requirement for our our, uh, our system. And, and talk through the decisions around when that silage is cut and, and what sort of a cover is on the silage ground at harvesting, um, you know, to ensure that you have that high quality for early lactation, Liam. So um, we try to make a, a good quality first cut silage, uh, which would have a reasonable level of bulk in it, maybe five to six tonne per hectare of dry matter. Um, at the end of May, if, if possible, in 2019, we cut our silage on the 20th of May. The weather was exceptionally good from April to May, so it made the year, It had a, we had a great start to the year. Cows had a great start into production, peak milk yields, and into breeding, and it allowed us to make a good cut of silage with a good bulk in it and also quality. So, like, it often maybe would go a small bit later if weather conditions didn't allow, but still the target would be there to have the fertilizer out on time to to have a, a, late, a late May cut of silage to ensure quality. And maybe even going back a step there, Louise, it... Um, in terms of the management of our of our of our grass in early in the springtime, we rarely get to to finish our first rotation <clears throat> and time because the grass tends to take off before there is a huge demand on it from the cows because it tends to be later turnout date and the grass starts to grow before the first um, rotation is fully complete. So we try to to um, having a high average farm cover in early spring is of no real advantage because it doesn't get utilised. So our going back to our preparing for the spring and the autumn, we can close up then at a, a lower cover in the autumn then as well. So it, it, it actually is more beneficial to have a, a lower cover in the autumn carrying into the spring than to have a high cover left in the farm as you get left with too much grass then in April and, and it, it's hard to manage then because it must be grazed because it, it can't all be, it can't all be caught a surplus. And and looking to another factor, Liam, you know, you mentioned that in 2019 you produced 512 kilos of milk solids. Now, you know, we 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 you've also acknowledged that the the year of 2019 was a great grazing year, particularly at the start. But you know, achieving that sort of level of milk production, you know, while you're looking at maybe your eight month grazing season as opposed to the standard 10 months that a lot of farmers will achieve, you know, talk through how you're achieving that phenomenal performance. So um, I suppose the combination of grassland management and genetics would be the two main factors, really, of driving the milk production performance. As was the the weather had, had most certainly had a massive effect in 2019, and it was up from 2018. But I suppose we would grassland management once the cows do go to grass, it is of a major focus. So in 2019, I did 40 grass walks in the year. Even and even if we had a shorter grazing season, I find in the main going season you have to walk the farm twice a week, or even you have to be doing your your some some sort of a, a budget in your head at least twice a week because things change very fast. We rarely tend to run shorter grass because we tend to get 
very high growth rates from from through the summer period. So managing grass quality is massive. So and if you can manage that grass quality through taking out the correct amount of surface bales at the right time, you can have very high quality grass right throughout the summer period. And as I said, when April was good, it allowed a high peak milk yield and carry that through. But like the genetics of the herd is obviously of nationally is obviously increasing massively every year. But using high quality genetic bulls, genetic bulls, high EBI bulls, and we have used crossbreds in the past, so we would have, the, the fat and protein percentages definitely would be increasing as a result of that. And carrying through with um, a relatively moderate milk yield too, to delivers the high production of solids they find. And and then if if we change tact for a few minutes, Liam, and, and focus on you yourself, was dairying always on the cards for you as a career, you know, from a young age? Yeah, so was we're a standard enough farming family here um, that we would have always, I have two brothers and two sisters and we would have always worked on the farm from a young age and I was always interested in it, just it would have always a target or goal. When I finished my my leaving cert, I um I decided I wanted to do dairy business in UCD because I felt I wanted to try and achieve as as good an education as I possibly could within the field of dairy farming and through enhancing the business skills required for that and that I I found a very beneficial course because it allowed us to, first of all went to Dublin to to learn with a lot of other people from around the country and also got to got the opportunity to go to New Zealand and third year as part of the work placement would have learned a lot from that and um, also spent three months in Moorpark um, with a semester in Moorpark learning from the best really there so um, you couldn't complain there it's, it's all dim little segments kind of fed into that and followed through um in my interest in in uh, Irish dairy farming and why I would have went to, followed on in that pathway and into research then as well. And talk us through that research, Liam. So as you say, you went to UCD and you you studied dairy business for four years. And following that, you um you linked up with fellow Clareman, uh, Lawrence Shalou, and you carried out some research with him for a few years. What what in, what was involved in that research that you carried out in Moorpark? Yeah, so um, it was a it was a an economics dairy economics PhD uh, very much focused on grassland. So if there was a section of it on pasture based Ireland, which um, he, he evaluated pasture based as a tool for dairy farmers and how important grass measuring is. And following on, we would have looked at at the National Farm Survey, so it's um, a representative sample of Irish farmers nationally and what their performance was both physically and financially and that led us to calculating the grass utilization nationally and correlating it with profitability and finding the results that the the amount of grass utilized on farm really is the key driver to the profitability on Irish dairy farms across the across the board like so that's it from all all dairy farms not just that's a representative sample nationally um and following on from that then, I suppose it, it fed into, um, we looked at the Heavy Soils program, which was already set up through Chagas, and using the data compiled from them, 
we were able to compare the farmers who were part of that programme to the National Farm Survey and see how they compared. Uh, what were their key drivers? Was it the same as the, the, the national average? And it, it did, it showed it, it was, it was pasture, um, pasture, grass utilisation is the key driver for them, while the stocking rates wouldn't be as high on the on heavier lands, naturally enough, as as, you're, as you, we've already mentioned, grazing season length wouldn't be as long. But it is still the driver and maximising your use of grass and setting the stocking rate to the carrying capacity of and the grass growth, grass grazing capacity of the farm really is the key. And we have seen through from that that the farmers in that programme can achieve just as high as a return on further land as the farmer on relatively free draining land, on average free draining land. So it, um, it was very interesting to, fi- to find that. And I suppose a, lo- a lot of what you mentioned, um, you know, is, is very reflective of what you're seeing day to day on your own farm. But just to dive into that a little bit more. So y- you've identified from your research, grass utilisation is a key driver of profit. So I suppose, can you quantify that or, or give us a little bit more detail on that, Liam? Yeah, so to, to put figures on it, um, we found that uh, every extra tonne of grass utilised on farm was worth 173 euros an increase in profitability. So it, it, it was a massive driver and, and there, is, there was no other, no other um, parameter that, kind of, that came near it really. Like, so, cause, cause so many things feed into uh, the achieving high grass utilisation. Things need to be correct on farm in terms of having the cows calved at the right time and hitting peak milk production with peak intakes for peak grass growth and Good grassland management, everything feeds into it achieving a high level of grass utilisation, therefore per- delivering high levels of profitability. And and what is it nationally at the moment um, from, from your research, Liam? What is the grass utilisation nationally? Roughly about 8 tonne grass utilised uh, per hectare. And um, I suppose the, the Chagas, uh, the grass pin um, initiative uh, rightly is, as targeted to increase that to 10 tonnes, which would be a massive increase in utilisation, like if when you think about it proportionately, they increase it for over 20%. So it, um, it, it would have a massive beneficial effect on Irish farms, you know, if, it, if that could be increased nationally. And I guess if we look at the, the 8 tonne that we're seeing nationally compared with the grass 10 target, you know, you're talking about um, if, if we take it across a 40 hectare farm, just some quick calculations here, I, I would estimate that to be an additional profit to a farm of around 14,000 euro. So, you know, that has major implications for for profits, um, you know, at the end of a of a season. Of course, yeah, sure, it is massive. Like, it, anywhere um, extra gains can be made on farms, or it has to be explored. And sure, that, that, that is, uh, that you couldn't pass that up anyway, that's for sure. And and then to, to look at another aspect of what you mentioned in relation to your research, you were talking about um, profit and return on your land. So we would you refer to that as a return on asset maybe? But looking at that, you know, should uh, somebody on a heavy soil be comparing themselves with, with farmers on drier type soils from a net profit perspective or a return on asset perspective? I think it, it, it's very important to... Use all the KPIs, but it, when benchmarking, using benchmarking as 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 a measure 
of um, measuring your performance against others. You have to, I suppose, take into account what stages farms are at and what type of, of uh, land they're farming on. So, yes, the return on assets would be a hugely important parameter going across the board. So, a, a farmer on heavy soils, we found that can actually achieve just as high, comparably just as high uh, return on assets as someone farming on uh, on free draining land or, or even slightly higher when their levels of efficiency are are better than the national average. But it, And that would be somewhere around 5% return on assets. And, and why are they achieving well, that, Liam? It, um, it's back to utilising the, the land as best as possible. So they have to, those farmers will have to implement other techniques such as land drainage increase and more roadways. But it allows them to carry the suitable stocking rate to to utilise as much grass as they can. But the land <coughs> the land is valued at a lower market value on a heavy heavier soil farm, which would be reality. And uh, therefore, they can get just as good as a return. But um, you also have to look at your net profit per hectare. There is no doubt about that. Um, it, it is hugely important to be looking at your net profit per hectare and the total profits for the farm. But when it's from a benchmarking point of view, it, there isn't there isn't much point in uh, in uh, may benchmarking performance and across something that isn't relevant in certain cases. Whereas obviously, when you're within your within across your discussion group or um, of similar type farms, then you could delve deeper into the the KPIs such as your net profit per hectare and 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 other and other KPIs then too. I, I and I think look, Liam, that there has been great value from your PhD research at Moore Park, and you know you, you've actually given us a physical value for the 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 return we'll get in terms of profit where we can increase our grass utilization on farms and similarly you know you have metrics that farmers can use you know and and really benchmark or compare themselves with other farmers um you know based on the relevant KPIs if we look outside your farm then like you mentioned there's a strong unit um you know across the farm with your your parents Willie and Catherine and also you mentioned the the extended family um in your brothers and sisters but outside the farm then you have some involvement with discussion groups what sort of value do they add to your business yes similarly so I'd, um discussion groups are h- hugely important for me it, it um you must well it it is a huge importance in that it, <clears throat> the value of it cannot be understated really is um so we have we're involved in a local discussion group and we benchmark or see how things are going on each other's farms monthly and fierce important because you have to as I come come back to saying again you have to benchmark with your peers of similar land type and similar herd sizes and things like that so it's um it's of a huge value because you can you can get kind of bottled up on your own sometimes and thinking of how things are going on and I like two heads are better than one but a discussion group is faster again you know and and being on a WhatsApp group or something like that also it even brings on the discussion group thing even more in terms of people can ask questions on a daily or weekly basis or anything, you know, as opposed to just interacting on a once a month. But I'm also involved in a second discussion group of my own, Dean. It's a, it's a, a group of us. Um, we're all around the same age. A good few of them I would have went to college with. They're based um, 
across the across the country really. But I suppose the the thinking around that is that we're all roughly at the same stage of our careers in farming, and the point of view will be always kind of coming from the same point of view in terms of development stage of farms and and career development, and also just the the thought process around having a, a <clears throat> the next generation thought process, farmer thought process, and I do enjoy that also. And and finally, Liam, then, what does the future look like for Liam Hanrahan? Well, it's a good question, I suppose. It, at the moment, we're, um, I, we're happy enough at the moment to doing what we're doing here at home. And, and we've, we're currently, as I said, making 180 cows and we're more or less to stock capacity. So increasing efficiency on, on the farm at home would be um, a massive uh, driver at the moment. And it's carrying on with the business and carrying it on from there, you know, it, we can, there's always more gains to be got and there's definitely a, a big challenge in that and there's always something new every year, sure. And I guess, look, I, I think um, it's it's easy for you to identify the the efficient, efficiencies that you're targeting to improve, Liam, with all the measurement that you're doing across the, the KPIs for the farm. And we, we really wish you the best of luck uh, for the future. And we look forward to following your farming journey. Thanks very much, Emily. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Liam Hanrahan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.